Welcome to the Frontier Podcast from Gun.io. I'm your host, Ledge. Today's SaaS companies rely more than ever upon core services and building blocks provided by other companies. And Nihilus is one of those companies providing an API similar to Stripe or Twilio, but instead focused on email, calendar, and contact sync. In this episode, I'm happy to welcome Christine Spang, co-founder and CTO of Nihilus. Christine's background is in backend Python and systems engineering, and she's a contributor to open source projects, including Debian. She's led the engineering team at Nihilus since she founded the company in 2013, and Nihilus is happy to announce that they recently just closed a $16 million Series B to expand their service. So welcome, Christine. Congrats on the the, uh, raise there. Yeah, thank you so much, and thanks for inviting me on the podcast. It's really great to be here. It's so cool to have you. So you and I got to brainstorm a little bit off mic. And, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, you as, as a CTO, right, you, you have to decide as building a service, you know, which things are your core competency of you and your team versus, you know, which things are not. And it's kind of interesting because your service is the thing that other CTOs are kind of making that determination about themselves, right? So, you know, yeah, you have sure. up, you have upstream providers and there are downstream providers and, um, you know, that's no longer just like a network engineering concern. It, it's like, how, how do I know what to build and and what to, you know, essentially lease from, from somebody else? How do you even begin to put that together when you're getting started? Yeah, for sure. So I think there's like, it's kind of interesting to kind of like take a step back and kind of think about like the history of computing and like how we got here. This is like back in the day, people just used to build like everything in-house. You'd end up with like a huge engineering team. Like there wasn't really a question of like, am I going to buy this from somebody else? Like, you know, you'd have an operating system and then you just like build all the software for whatever you were trying to, to ship. Um, but then there kind of came along this like trend in like open source software where people started kind of building and releasing these like shared components that everyone could use. And that built up this like really big and really great ecosystem of like different components that people could take and use when building other things. But we were still essentially like building things entirely in-house, but often using kind of like shared components. So like you, if you went from one job to another, it's like, you know, I used Apache at my last job and it was a pretty good web server. So we're going to use Apache again here. Um, And like being competent and skilled at like kind of essential open source building blocks became something that like you were expected to do. And that's still true today for engineers. There's like so many kind of key and core open source technologies that uh, lots and lots of companies use to ship their software. Um, but this like newer trend is like not just having open source building blocks, but also like deciding when you're going to use some sort of like SaaS service to like provide some key component of what you're building. And especially for like startups today, you only have so many uh, resources and it's like, really good idea to keep your team small for like as long as you can until you like actually figure out what you're building, who your customers are, uh, what like the features that your product should have and are kind of in scaling mode. 
um, because having a small group of people is so much higher bandwidth for communication. It's so much less complicated to like get an idea back and forth and riff off things when you have like five people in a room rather than like 40. Um, so this all means that kind of like teams that are building software these days are actually like shrinking. Like we're building bigger things with fewer numbers of people. Like, uh, maybe an extreme example of this is if you look in the last few years when WhatsApp was acquired by Facebook for $16 billion, they had 32 engineers and like hundreds of millions of users. Um, I think that's like a bit of an extreme example and like that's not the average these days, but I just kind of show how like fewer numbers of engineers are accomplishing like greater and greater things by being like super focused. Like, you know, WhatsApp is just like a messaging app. They don't like build anything else. Um, and I think that determining what your core competency is and like what you're just not going to focus on is like really important because every hour of your engineering time you spend like building internal like developer tools or like deployment software or like, uh, you know, packaging, whatever, uh, anything that's like not your product is like, it's essentially like engineering overhead where like, you know, you have like management overhead, which is like, you know, what you need to like run the company. But there's also this like engineering overhead where uh, like you're building software that's not your product that you're selling. And uh, then you have to maintain that software and you also have to train people in that tool that is specific to your organization when they arrive. Um, and I just think it's really important to be really careful because like the more code that you have, like the slower you're going to move because maintaining code takes time. Um, and there's like a lot of mental overhead to having to know how different systems work. And even when you're consuming somebody else's service and making it part of, of your own, you, you still incur, I guess I'll say some of that downstream technical debt, right? Like they're going to update their service. They're going to mm -hmm. deprecate methods or there's going to be a new version. Um, you know, so do you think it's less than still like it's still a net positive there where you just simply don't have to internalize that cost on your team? Mm, yeah, I mean, I think you still need to like think about trade-offs and kind of what, what you're like gaining versus like what you're not having to think about. Um, in that like you're essentially when you when you consume like a SaaS service, you're replacing like an internal engineering team with like a vendor relationship. And that takes a different skill set to to manage. Um, you know, it's essentially like a like a, a people problem now instead of like I mean, building software is also a people problem, <laughs> but uh uh it's definitely a different flavor of people problem in that like you're not going to be seeing these people every day and um you but you still need to like be communicating with them about like what your needs are especially for like for example at Nihilus for our biggest customers we we have like pretty strong relationships with them where we're talking to folks from their teams like on a weekly or every other weekly basis because you know, we're essentially like building a technology that is a core part of what they ship. And like, we need to almost function as like, uh, like a sub team of their company that has like inputs and outputs. So, you know, we need to communicate about, uh, 
uh, things that we're building or fixing that affect these folks and they need to communicate with us like what their priorities are and what's the most important thing. Uh, in some cases we have companies that are using uh, different parts of our product like different APIs on different teams so we've had to kind of establish uh, relationships with them where we figure out how like they're going to be communicating internally with all those teams figuring out like what's the most important thing and like jumping on a call with us with all like their relevant stakeholders in order to like make sure that everyone knows what's going on and which is kind of just like it's a very similar thing to what you would do in like a large organization which had you know like a, an internal team that's building a service and like shipping it to like the rest of the organization except like these are two separate organizations which i think is really interesting development yeah it's like the the boundaries between what we would have just considered yours and mine and theirs and us and them you know is all like sort of blurring around this I think we call that, you know, like sort of the macro services, you know, it's, it's like yeah. it's the same architecture, but it's an organization and sort of abstracted level. I mean, we're all depending on Amazon, right? You know, and yep. all depending on Google and, you know, there's so much stuff going on there and we have to trust them, you know, sort of implicitly that we, we yep. can't even have a business without those, those platforms. And then, you know, somewhere down the line, there's, you know, I don't know, like for your business, like a, a CRM, right? And if, if I can't sync my email, like that's a pretty big deal. And some, some sales guy, you know, is using their CRM and is going, well, my email won't sync. And the CRM is like, yeah, yeah, we use a provider for that. And the sales guy's never heard of Nihilus and never wants to, right? Right, and, right. You know, and how does, how does all that flow together? You know, if, if you guys have an upstream provider that's giving you trouble and then you have trouble and it flows down to, you know, your downstream customer, you know, how does, how does that, the trust and the communication and everything happen there? Right. Yeah. I think that like, this is something that like we think about all the time. And, um, I would say like we've made a lot of progress on making this, problem better but we still have a uh, significant ways to go to get it to be where we want it to be um, but I think like it's useful to think about I don't know if you have heard of I can't remember what book it was but some book about Amazon is talking about how uh, like the way that they design their services is like with kind of self-service as like one of their guiding design principles and that like like people using AWS, it's like, I don't want to talk to AWS support. Like talking to AWS support is a huge pain in the ass. It takes a really long time. I have to wait on a hold for a while. Like then I have to explain to this person like what my problem was is. And sometimes they don't know what, what I'm talking about. And it takes a really long time. So like, you know, the goal of AWS is to design their service in a way such that I don't actually ever have to talk to support. And, um, that's definitely our goal at Nihilus as well. Um, and I think there's a few different components of that. One is like, especially when you're building kind of like developer tools, you need to, you almost want to be able to give people like insight and visibility into the system to the same level that they would if they were building it in-house. Because like, 
that's a trade-off you don't want people to have to kind of face of like, you know, I want to build this in-house, not because like we could do it better, but because I like emotionally like feel like I have more control over it and I can tell what's going wrong and that I'm not like, I don't have my hands tied by some other party. And uh, I think it's like a huge challenge when you're building a SaaS service. And um, also if you can achieve that and get it right, that is what makes your service really powerful. Um, and there's a few different ways that we try to do this. Um, one is by just kind of like exposing all of the logs for the service service uh, through our developer dashboard so that you can kind of like see what's happening on the inside. But then there's also a challenge of making sure that those logs like communicate well to like people that are not familiar with your code base. So um, I think it is tricky in that like, you know, it's all about communication and uh, you both need to be able to like document well, like what the capabilities of your system are, but also like, you know, what are the failure modes? Like what you want, you want like, if there's something going wrong for someone to be able to take an action by themselves in order to resolve it. Um, and there's definitely a lot of room for us to improve in that area right now, but um, we are kind of making progress on it month to month, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's such a, I think it's an underrepresented budgeting item to think about like almost like the, the customer experience of like your error log or, you know, or yeah. things like that. Yeah, right? it's and, like whoever wrote these log messages was not originally <laughs> expecting them to be customer facing, but they are yeah. uh, when you're a developer tool. And uh, like, I think it's a little bit of an iterative process, especially when um, you're trying to improve the like introspection capabilities of your like end user developers mm -hmm. that, okay, you know, we're not gonna like fix all of this information first, but like let's first expose it and like see what people run into as problems or like what's weird. Um, and then like kind of iteratively improve it from there. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're totally in line with a lot of the people I've been talking to, you know, as we produce these episodes, it's just like the coalescing of, you know, engineering and product is just so palpable now where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, wait a second, engineers need to think about customer empathy, you know, yeah. and like, that just was not a thing, you know, mm -hmm. even three or four years ago. And, and that keeps mm -hmm. coming up again and again that, wow, we need to break down, you know, those perceived silos between mm -hmm. product and engineering, you know, it's not enough yeah. just to build now from a spec, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think there's like a lot of different ways in which kind of like like the engineer today versus engineer 10 years ago is like, is like a much more well-rounded like human being and person and like has to do a lot more things. Um, but at the same time, we've like kind of built up all these building blocks and abstractions such that like, you know, you can be a really effective and powerful engineer without having to like, you know, spend a few years like really deep in the guts of something because you're building it like from the ground up. Um, which is really interesting. So you, know, you can be a full stack engineer and like learn a little bit of product and a little bit of design. And like, there's also this kind of breaking down of silos between like development and operations mm -hmm. where like we expect engineers to be like software owners instead of 
uh, kind of like building new features and like throwing them over the fence to some sort of ops team who's going to care and feed them while they're in production. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's like a much better understanding of the fact that like, if you don't understand the production part of your software lifecycle, then you're just like not like a full engineer. It's like, you can't just build something because there's so much of the expense and cost and uh, like most of building software is actually like changing software that already exists in the wild. And you need to be able to understand how to do that in order to like be a really effective engineer. Right. If you're, if you're, you know, S DLC is primarily dominated by development and spends very little time in production, like things are backwards, right? You not yeah, yeah. return on that investment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I've also heard a lot of people talking about how, you know, sort of development is moving left, you know, into ops and uh, security is moving left into ops. And, you know, like mm -hmm. ops is sort of like, yeah, you know, the new full stack is is DevOps and then, you know, developers and, and, the, but then we're getting a little farther away from design and the front end people. And, you know, it's just this weird mm -hmm. shifting where things are moving so fast and you, you kind of need to know all the things. Yeah. Which, which I think a really like an executive thing, yeah. right? You know? Yeah. I think a really key part of just like thriving in the software world right now is just like loving learning all the time because if you don't like learning something new every day and you're an engineer you're going to burn out so fast because uh the industry is changing so fast and um as you said it's not just like learning the next new technology it's also like adapting to like the changing way that like software engineering organizations are run and like the different kinds of skill sets and uh like in some ways there's like a little bit less specialization going on, but um, it kind of depends on like what you're building. Like if you're at like a an organization that's building like web systems, I think there's like less specialization. And then there's like new kind of areas of technology that are perhaps like more specialized and that like they didn't exist uh, 10 or 20 years ago. And it's like kind of a combination between like research and like trying to productionize that. Yeah, I I agree. I was researching the uh, the genesis of the term data scientist today. It's pretty interesting. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this will be my my last topic, and and a little bit self serving, but I, I'll apologize. And I'll just you know it when you and I were sort of doing some brainstorming on topics, we talked about how you know on the software side, it it used to be a lot of you know a bias against you know not invented here right? We've mm -hmm. got to do all these things ourselves. We need to own everything, you know, the tooling and, and we know that things are, are moving the other way now. And, you know, in mm -hmm. fact that that specialization is important. And, you know, I brought up that I, a lot of th times, you know, we face as, as a business that's placing, you know, high end freelance engineers, you know, we get a lot of, you know, not hired here. You know, I, <laughs> I want my own employees, you know, I must have full time. Mm -hmm. I must have dedicated and I just wondered, you know, as a, as a CTO, you know, what you, what you think about that, do you see that changing mm -hmm. as the, you know, maybe like we talked about the, the boundaries around work are changing. You can consume mm -hmm. an entire team from somebody else on lease, but there's still a weird mm -hmm. thing about maybe sometimes consuming one person on lease. Yeah. And how, how does that suit you? 
Yeah, so maybe a little background context would help. So how how long are you like placing engineers with the company? Are they short term gigs? Are they long term gigs? These are freelancers, but like as long as as long mean? as the customer wants, yeah. So you know, in our mm -hmm. contacts with our business, we're really talking about you know long term engagements that um, get it can be half time. They can be full time. You know, I mean, these people mm -hmm. these people work for you. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of a misconception probably in the freelancer space in general that freelancing came to mean, you know, fly by night, moonlighting, uh, kind of flaky, mm -hmm. you know, MacBook on the beach kind of stuff. And, you yeah. know, we're, we're looking at a cohort of individuals. It's different. So you know, that's mm -hmm. definitely part of the messaging, but, um, yeah, you know, as a consumer I would say, yourself, what does it mean? Yeah. From, from my point of view as an engineering leader, the primary thing that I am thinking about and worried about when figuring out how to form a team is the fact that I need to create a team that feels a strong sense of ownership over the product. And uh, I, I personally don't really care like what the like legal designation is of like, how we're paying somebody like for example we at nihilus we have uh mostly full-time engineers who are based in uh, north america as like kind of the core of our team but uh, we also work with folks who uh, uh are basically like kind of a, like a long-term contract that uh we've been working with for over three years at this point and uh, they're they're basically database experts and they're basically a part of our team but the way things work more in the database world is that you often have multiple clients because it's like a more specialized skill and um so they're technically paid as contractors both because they're like uh, international and like they have their own little company and it's much easier for us to kind of deal with that legally and also uh, because they have multiple clients and like we're okay with that um so like in that case like i guess technically those folks are freelancers but uh, i feel like they are a strong part of the team they have a sense of ownership over the components that they're responsible for and therefore like you know that's essentially an in-house capability for us like i don't really care how, like what it looks like on the balance sheet maybe our accountants like care a lot more than i do but <laughs> right like to me it's like well, this is like headcount. This is contractors. They, that's the same budget almost. Right. Um, right. But it's buy. a little bit different when thinking about like shorter term contracts. Um, we actually worked with a shorter term contractor on a project last winter, which uh, was really useful to the company. Um, and uh, the things that go through my head when thinking about kind of reengaging with that contractor are mostly like one, I, I want to be really cautious about having someone who's like in and out, like building core pieces of our technology, because the fact of the matter is that like when you build something yourself, uh, you become like more of an expert in that thing than anybody else. And like, no matter like how much you modify something and uh, work on it later or read documentation or, or talk to that person, like it's hard to compete with like actually having built it. Um, in terms of like expertise. So I'm like really cautious about like, like giving somebody who is not, ha doesn't have strong ownership over the product that expertise because it makes the team weaker, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 
and I think that's absolutely right for core intellectual property and core competency. Yeah. You really do want to have people that are close and, mm-hmm. and yet we're all looking at the same statistics where it's like, well, the average tenure of an engineer now is dropping to like, yeah. you know, 15 months. And, um, yeah, well, I could, yeah. I could talk your ear off about that if you wanted, but I think that's <laughs> just like, companies are also pretty bad at management and retention and uh, I think that's a solvable problem that is somewhat different but I guess it is something that you have to kind of be cognizant of as an organization but certainly here at Nihilus we aim to like be a place that people want to stick around for more than two years Um, because it is really difficult to kind of train people up you know if it takes someone six months to get fully up to speed on your systems and then they're gone in two years like you're essentially like spending like 30 percent of their salary or whatever just like training all the time which is a huge amount of overhead i love that thought i love that thought well be a place that people want to work be a place that people want to stick around yeah christine it's awesome spending time with you you obviously have big engineering things to go do so we will respect your schedule and uh best of luck after uh that awesome raise and doubling and tripling the customer count looking yeah, forward to uh, consuming the, the product yeah lots of fun challenges to tackle on all fronts both kind of at the engineering level and uh, i certainly right now i'm uh, learning a lot about growing organizations and kind of building healthy places to work so um yeah can't complain super fun and i'm excited to keep working on this Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.